Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And tonight we're going to talk about some, well, the top five, according to OWASP, security vulnerabilities in your web app. Yes, your web app. It's all vulnerable. Uh, before we get into that, though, we can review. How was your week? Okay. Did a little bit of Postgres consulting, a little bit of Rails consulting. But I spent a lot of time doing performance because, like I mentioned, I think it was last week where I implemented Skylight, uh, APM application performance manager for my application. I just started going through the process of whack-a-mole and, and looking at, okay, what are the, they have a agony score, like how slow something is. So I've was just saying, all right, let me look at this one. Okay, what can I do to you know, improve that? Okay, go to the next one. And then of course you make all those changes and now you got a new set of endpoints that have certain agony scores. Like, okay, let me look through these. So I, I spent way too much time doing that. It was for the better in that, okay, now everything's even more performant, but it's like, okay, I got to get back to my feature development I'm supposed to be doing or, or whatever <laughs> else. So it's like I could continue doing this for a month. And it's not just that it's poor performing, but, you know, if I wanted to get down to, you know, sub, well, not sub millisecond, you know, but small, very small response times, I could keep doing it. But it's kind of like. Hooray for rabbit holes. At, at what point is the amount of time invested worth, you know, the, the, the gain reflective of the amount of time invested. Yeah. So I'm kind of like pulling myself away from it, like, all right, got to focus on other stuff. And other than that, the only other thing I was working on was a website redo. So I'm in the process of making changes for my website for my application too. So a little bit of marketing following on from the marketing training I had a week or two ago. Hmm. So what about you? Well, so our big client had a, production release last week so most of the most of the week has been spent you know just doing the shaking out the the rough edges and doing the bug bug stomping and all those fun things that go with big releases uh, so it's been a lot of little code tweaky things kind of a death by a thousand paper cuts kind of week um, so no big projects but lots of little admin things and <sighs> one of these days I'll get to code. <laughs> well, was this, did some of these involve little bug fixes in coding or? Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were little bug fixes in coding. We have run into a weird issue with my all time favorite thing, time zones that we're trying to figure out. We, we still haven't figured out why it was an issue. And of course, you know, it happened in this one environment. We can't recreate it in any test environments. It's one of those things where, you know, like sunspots had to be in the right formation for it to happen or something. It just is, it's weird. Um, so, yeah, I gotta love those. So I, that's, I've oh, spent I a, did have a, sorry, go ahead. I did. I spent a good bit of time just trying to recreate a particular problem this week because we just haven't been able to. In fact, I had a whole team of people trying to recreate this one bloody problem because nobody can figure it out. 
Oh, good Lord. Yeah. I did. I had a very interesting uh, support call today where someone called in and said, essentially the complete or submit button to submit a form was like gone. Well, it just wasn't there. I'm like, well, that's the point of it. It needs to have that button. <laughs> that's the one thing that can't be missing. Exactly. And so by application has a way to style the page by having a GUI that you could say, all right, I want the primary color to be this, the secondary color to be this, the accent color to be this, and you know, all sorts of different things. And what they had done is set everything to white. Oh no. <laughs> and put an image on their form. So that was the only color or whatever. So basically the button was there, <laughs> but it was white. God, I hate those kind of problems. <laughs> Well, it was quite easy because immediate. I mean, it was a super fast fix because they, I said, well, right, what's the form that has a problem? Okay, this form. So I put my mouse where the thing was and it made the animation, the hover animation. So I'm like, okay, it's there. <laughs> and then I said, it's got to be styling. So I looked at it, I right clicked it and I turned the styling off or whatever was set to it and poof, there's the button. So I'm like, okay, so where are they, you know, when I went to the, the page, call it a page style feature that allows you to change all the different colors and certain features of it. And I was like, they had set everything to white because they just wanted to have just their image in the form and nothing else. So you had to call the client and say, hey, Tweedledee, the wonder dummy has been in your settings here. And No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, that's one way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a so thing. We, we have the so we have the ability to actually custom style the buttons too so made the ability to, to change it to what they wanted so anyway but that was an interesting discovery oh boy oh, the, the things you run into or they're the things you don't expect like right no one would do this Yep, they will. I don't need a test for this. Nobody's that stupid. No. First person that gets it. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, man. No, I mean, because, yeah, there are certain reasons why, yeah, it, it wasn't obvious when they were changing it that it would have this effect because it was yeah. actually on a secondary page that this particular button was missing. But. Well, and that's one of the issues with having very flexible stuff. It's great that it's flexible, but then there's also complexity that goes with it. And a lot of, you can yeah. easily have unintended consequences with things like that. Um, all right. So fun week, but let's get into why we're here. We're going to go uh, through the first five of the OWASP top 10 web application security risks. This is the 2021 edition. So this is this was the the biggest things from 2021 that came out. So this is as current as it gets from a statistical standpoint. Um, we don't have time to do all 10. And quite honestly, 6 through 10 don't terribly interest me. So, yeah, I just didn't want to. Anyway. Um, Even the fact, well, I was, we had discussed security issues in the previous episode. So I was... Mm -hmm surprised that things moved around as much as they did 
Like for example, the number two slot went all the way down to I think number seven. And the one that's been in the top slot forever, it seems to be injection went down to the third spot, you know. So I was interested in seeing all the different changes that have been made. Yeah. And with I this new release. Personally, I was very surprised that injection went down because SQL injection is like one of the biggest things I run into in the wild. It's like it's like I run into that all the time. Um well, apparently, number the the new number one is taken over. I mean, because they've been yeah. harping on it so much, maybe it's finally started sinking. <laughs> I hope so. And these are all important things. Now, out of the far first five, some of them are going to actually be code issues, things you need to be careful of in code, and some of them are infra issues. So if if you're on the coding team and you've got an infra team, you won't have to worry about half of these. So. But if you're small shop, you got to think of them all. Um, so we're going to talk about it. Um, try to talk about it in some plain English uh, and not get too overly technical here so that we can all understand what we're talking about because I'm a dummy and I need simple language. So um, number one, broken access control. What does that mean? Uh, it means you didn't program your stuff right is basically what it means. Um, so essentially what this is, um, is the, your, your um, authentication and or access systems are not working properly. Uh, so you don't have the principle of least privilege employed where people are granted rights instead of rights are taken away from people. So by default, you don't give people access to anything until you specifically say, hey, you can have access to this. Um, and this could also be as simple as you're supposed to be a particular endpoint supposed to be behind a login, but it's not. Right. So, yeah, it's not just for front end stuff that uh, this has um, impacts APIs and things like that. Um, well, I'm just saying you have a page that it's it's even a front-end page but it's supposed to be behind a, a some sort of form of authentication but it isn't <laughs> right <laughs> so people can visit it without having to authenticate right so so one of you know things examples of this might be that you know you have a login system but i can go to your website and i can put in a specific url and get there even without logging in even though i'm not supposed to because that yep. particular path isn't behind the firewall, as it were. Um, so that's an example of this kind of stuff. But um, basically, it's it's um, allowing access or having holes where people can get access to things they shouldn't have access to. Um, whether this is on the API end or on the um, front end. Uh, so they talk about ways to prevent it, um, like what we mentioned earlier, deny by default. So your, your assumption should always be, you can't have access to this. And then I will grant you access when these conditions happen. Um, unless you're a very public thing, you know, public resources is fine. You open those up, but 
even then, you want to start with them locked down and say, okay, this is something I want to make public on purpose. And if you're using a good library for, or libraries for authentication and authorization, they should be handling it in this manner. Right. Yes, they very mm -hmm. much should be. If they're not... Um, get a new library. <laughs> yeah, I really would get a new library because this stuff is, it, you know... It, OWASP isn't messing around. If it's number one on their list, there's a reason for that. It's a problem. So don't don't think that this isn't a big deal. Um, go get yourself a library that handles this stuff. Um, this is also, I think, becoming more prevalent because, it, you know, 10 years ago, web apps were kind of one-server things. Uh, but now we've got this distributed architecture stuff and um, microservices and, you know, the database over here and the one service over here and talks to this service over there and, you know, 850 different AWS pods running. And there's things that are, people are getting access to things that they shouldn't in there. Like they're one of the things they talk about in here is cores, which is the cross 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 uh, oh, origin cross origin cross resource origin sharing resource share. <laughs> i could not think of the word okay object was where my head wanted to go that ain't it but basically um saying hey this this website can get and receive objects from this other location and it's okay but if that's not properly configured then people can go tunnel through that if you don't have it walled off properly and if you don't have the back end set up with proper stuff. So you, you got to be careful about your access control um, because that's going to be the first point of attack on your app. People are going to try to want to try to figure out a way to crack into your access and get get to places that they shouldn't be. And the one thing that it also mentions here is that um, from an infrastructure side is disabling web server directory listings. So if you have misconfigured your web server and someone can just get a directory listing that could potentially, potentially get access to files they're not supposed to, like your whole Git repository or whatever. <laughs> that could kind of put you out of business a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> All right. So, number one, broken access control. Lots of fun. Uh, number two, cryptographic failures. So, this has more to do with how you're storing data um, and how you're transmitting data. So, like, you have to be careful you don't send passwords in clear text. Um, through your system because people can snoop on that and start popping passwords out. That's not something I've really seen very much in in real circumstances. Um, not for a very, very long time. Uh, people have kind of wised up to that. But uh, there still are things where you can find stuff in log entries that shouldn't be there. Uh, sensitive information. Um, that sh that should either be eliminated or encrypted if it's going to be there. Um, 
if you're using old crypto algorithms like SHA-1 or um, or some other old outdated ones. MD5. MD5. Yeah, you shouldn't be using those anymore for for your crypto because they are essentially cracked and useless at this point. Um, you know, doing things like making sure you're using TLS, the latest TLS, that making sure that your um, your certs are all validated properly and they're in the proper trust chains and um, that you don't have um, you're not storing passwords that aren't properly salted and encrypted that they are essentially uncrackable um, and and not only passwords but any other uh, sensitive information especially sensitive information about your customers so you want you just want to be careful with that but this all has to do with how you're how you're storing and transmitting data so that you don't expose things that shouldn't be exposed. So this is kind of half in the programming area and half in the infrastructure area because it, some of it has to do with transmission and SSL and TLS and certificates and that kind of stuff. And some of it has to do with what am I logging? How am I sending things? How am I storing data? So uh, this is one that everybody will need to kind of pay attention to. So I was just kind of thinking, maybe for each one of these, we should also think about what are some mitigation methods. So I, I know there's all the prevention methods, but what are some easy ways to do it? Now, thinking back to the first one that deals with um, broken authentication, I think testing can go along towards helping you prevent that. So if you have For sure. developed tests to know, okay, these pages should be behind, behind an authentication link and um, I can validate that you need these particular rights to view this particular page. I think you could write tests to handle some of that as well as oh, knowing your authorization and authentication libraries. Now, in terms of this one, I have a hard time thinking of some ways to mitigate some of this. I mean, because it's really, you need to go through and track the data that you're tracking that is sensitive and determining, do we need to store it? If we do store it, do we need to encrypt it or not? You know, Right. So I think this will be a lot harder to do. This is one of the ones where you really you need to go through and understand the things to look for and to be aware of. And you kind of need to do audits on a regular basis yeah. for this kind of stuff, um, because there aren't really a lot of automated tests you can do in this yeah. area. Um, like the other area. And I, and I don't think there's or I'm not familiar with services that would help you like there are services that can hit your application looking for vulnerabilities, but I don't see them being able to discern some of these. Yeah. Although it will capture, sorry, it will capture using outdated cryptographic methods. Right. And you can do things like, you know, making sure that, that you're, you can get your, your trust chain checked and make sure that your certs are all right and 
so some of this can be tested, but a lot of it is just you have to pay attention. You need to catch the if you're looking in logs and you say, oh, God, there's passwords in here. Raise the red flag. Let's fix this. That's a problem. Um, but th this one takes a lot of just paying attention, doing audits and being just familiar with the things that you need to look out for. That's why it's important to to talk about, learn and understand these things, because some of it is just you need to look out for it. Um, and a lot of frameworks have the ability to handle some of the, like at least the filtering, like filtering from logs, you know, you can give them particular uh, keys or something to look for not included in the log. Right. Yeah. And like you said, on the, you know, on the first one, the access control, <clears throat> that should absolutely be tested. I test and it seems a bit pedantic sometimes to write tests to say, hey, this person should have access to this page and shouldn't have access to this page. And you've got a lot of tests going back and forth. But I'm telling you, if you don't have those tests, you have no idea how secure your access control is. Those well, you usually don't know when you make a change and you flub something up. Right. Those are usually the first tests I'll write. And I write those for every page for every user type. And yeah, it's it's a lot, but holy crap, is it nice to have it when something goes bad? Because you can catch it before your customers do and you get sued. That's never good. All right, so number three, injection. This is actually the one I'm most familiar with because this is the one I've seen way more than any other security issue. Um, the good news is, in most cases, this is, for most languages, this is actually automatically um, discoverable with static code analyzers like Breakman. Breakman will pick this stuff out and say, hey, you got some injection problems here. And that's, for those who are wondering, that's the Ruby static analyzer. Right. And other languages have those too. <laughs> and they've, they've done a lot to, and I think that's probably one of the reasons that this has kind of fallen out of the top spot is because those static analyzers have done a lot of work towards surfacing these things before they get in the wild. And, and that's great. But if you're not familiar with injection, um, there used to be a separate thing called XSS or cross-site scripting and a separate one called um, SQL injection. Those have been kind of glommed into this and included in here. Uh, but essentially this is bad actors injecting stuff into forms or URL parameters or, or other areas of your code that or other areas of your app that take user input and they can do things like put JavaScript snippets in there that'll run stuff when you take it into your server if you're not careful about what you're taking. Um, so one of the common ways to do that was called SQL injection. Um, so they've got some examples here, but basically you you let somebody, let's say you, you've got a page with a lot of things of your customers and you have a filter, right? So a person can fill in like a, a 
partial email address and it'll filter that out. And that email address is passed in a parameter to run the filter. Well, if you don't properly protect that, what I can do is I can put a um, JavaScript in there and wrap it in quotes. And then when you go to run that query, it'll execute the JavaScript and I can get access to your system. Well, it's not actually, it's not even JavaScript. In other Doesn't words, have to be. Like, you know, in this example here, it's, um, they're just putting in a sequence that basically returns true. So give me all the records of something. Right. Um, so you have to be really careful about user input. And that's the injection. It has a lot to do with user input and protecting user input. Um, in most cases, uh, in fact, I would say in all cases, unless you have a really, really, really good reason you don't want to ever take user input directly into something. You want to put it somewhere um, and then make sure that you're sanitizing it. And then you you put it into whatever it is you're going to run with it. So that is one that I... Before Breakman was in those those static analyzers were routinely adopted i saw this a lot i still see it quite a bit if people aren't using the static code analyzers because those and i don't see it when i run into people who are using them very much because those static code analyzers pop these out real fast and then the people just they fix them and go on and you don't have these problems so that's the best mitigation is run the static security code analyzers for this kind of stuff to make sure that they're not finding anything. Now, those aren't 100% accurate. What I have seen is that you may get, you'll get sometimes false positives where it'll say, hey, I think this is injection, but it's really not. But I'd rather have that than missing it. Yeah. Because um, I can make a decision about it. But this is almost purely on the programming side. So if you're on the programming team, you should know about this. Uh, number four, insecure design. That seems fairly broad. <laughs> well, so let's see what they're talking about here. Uh, insecure design is a broad category. Well, yep. It sure is. Um, to, I, what I get from reading this and, and researching this is that what they're talking about here is design problems that they're not, they're not, it's not bad coding. It's that you have designed something that exposes it's an attack bad vector. Choices. Yeah. Um, you, you've, designed something in in such a, a way that it exposes attack vectors that you hadn't anticipated but it's not because somebody left something open in the code it's because you left something open in the design i know that what, what's helpful is the example like tech scenarios if you scroll down a little bit yeah um 
like that first one is basically if you're using a question and answers method to reset a password, for example. Right, which I hate. They're saying things. that's, yeah, which is, you know, so they're basically saying the, uh, what is it? The uh, application security verification standard and whatever that other acronym is, you know, there's all these standards that say you should not use this. And of course I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, then why is, why are my banks still doing this? <laughs> right. That gives you warm and fuzzies, doesn't it? Another example would be like using, Hey, let's use the old captcha system. Cause it was nice and easy. Yeah. It's not terribly secure. So yeah, that's a bad design decision. Or it maybe it once was an okay, but now nothing. You know, now yeah. they all want to go to multi-factor authentication and whatnot. Right. So. But yeah, and at this point, because it's been cracked, it's as useful as MD5 is for cryptography. So, and then the second scenario was interesting too, is where you basically they're giving discounts, but if someone hits it simultaneously to grab more discounts than they should, it results in a loss in income. So that's a poor design that you haven't, I guess for like a better term, serialized the processing of the transactions coming through. And even the last one's talking about a lot of bot protection. So if someone's trying to spam with bots, again, going back to the serialization, not being able to. Those are your favorite people. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, this one's kind of hard to define. Uh, it's it's really, really broad. And it's kind of hard to point to specific examples of this because design is so amorphous. You know, every app has a different design um, and makes different design decisions. And there are thousands of design decisions, even in a small app. So... It's kind of hard to pin this down, but you do want to make sure that you're thinking through these things as you go into design phases for areas of your product. Um, make security something that you talk about during the design phase. It should be a... Um, yeah, a and all the prevention up there, there's a lot of consultation or consult, consultative discussions about how to design the system. Right. And honestly, if you're, if you're getting into systems that are prone to security issues, like you're going to take credit cards or you're mess, you're, you're doing something with people's money or something like that, it may be a good idea to get a consultant to talk to you about design who specializes in that kind of stuff. Because it that stuff is complicated. There are laws around it. There are lots of different laws depending on where your app is accessible from. And you're not going to know all of them unless you're the guy that specializes in that. Um, so you, you kind of have to assess how risky your app is and how much you need to pay attention to security um, during your design process but you have to pay attention to security at least some. It's something you really want to think about.
because as more and more laws go into uh, protecting consumers, you know, there's a lot of laws that have gone in in the EU that that um, one of the reasons that you started seeing all these, um, hey, we use cookies notifications on every website is because the EU passed a law that said you have to do that. Um, GDPR. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's the, the, the protections for consumers and end users are getting ramped up. And so there's more and more laws that you have to be careful of. So security is something you want to put front and center in your design process. All right, and the last one we're going to talk about tonight is security misconfiguration. This one is almost purely an infra problem. So if you're a programmer and you don't work with infra, <laughs> skip out on this one. Uh, if you're an infra person, uh, I'm sorry. Um but this is this is all you. So basically, this is you haven't set up the backend um, security configurations. Probably you haven't set up users properly. Uh, you haven't set up your database walling properly. Um, you don't have security settings right on app servers. Nginx is too open. Um, you know, there's just, it's all the backend security stuff, uh, for your servers and your infrastructure, um, that, that's being talked about here. Again, this didn't used to be as high, but I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it didn't used to be as complicated because most web apps were just, here's a server, it runs my app, it has all my stuff. I lock it off. And away we go. But now we've got these distributed servers and AWS instances and and um, uh, Docker pods and all kinds of stuff going on. And the security configuration has gotten significantly more complex. You know, with cores and and the talking between database pods and and pods for this service and pods for that service so they have to be able to talk to each other but they have to lock off things that shouldn't be there so it gets complicated but that's all the back-end things um so how do you deal with that stuff well one thing is you really gotta have kind of checklists for thinking about all the little security things. If I'm setting up a new server or I'm or I'm spinning up a new pod, I better check these things to make sure I've set them properly. Um, and there are some automated tools that can confirm, okay, is directory listings enabled on your web server? Right. Um, do you have certain default accounts reset or disabled? So there are some cloud vendors that provide tools to capture some of this. Right. And so. another big thing to mitigate this is make sure you don't have any, any services or programs or apps running on your server that you don't need. If it's just some pre-installed background piece of crap that you don't need to use, 
get rid of it unless it's necessary for the OS. You don't want it running because that's just another attack vector for bad actors. So simplify your system as much as you can. Um, and then an this is another place where you can't automate a lot of this. You can automate some of it, but a lot of it is being aware, doing regular audits, um, and making sure you have lists of things to look at and pay attention. Um, or take your list of things and you use Ansible, Terraform, whatever to configure your systems so that we have your your list become documented ways of building the your infrastructure in a secure manner. Right. And they should. But even then, you still you, you want to audit those things every once in a while too, because yeah, you yeah. know, like Linux gets an update. Well, okay, that may have changed something and now I've got a, a hole here. That doesn't happen often with Linux, thank God, but it it can happen. Um so these are these are tough things, but security is becoming more and more important. Um and there are more and more laws popping up that will just if you're not careful with this stuff it can completely destroy your company. Um, you know, all it takes is one one massive lawsuit because you lost somebody's credit card number. You know, and it's that's that's bad news. It's just not a fight you want to fight. So be in front of this stuff, and security should be a first class citizen at every stage of your discussion of your app um, through the planning through the coding through the infra setup um, in your testing cycle your QA and uh, even while it's in production you should be monitoring your production for any signs of security holes um, if and there are certain things like if you're storing credit card data by law you have to have certain testing done like pen testing and certain other things to make sure that you're in compliance with the laws um, even if you're not required by law if you've got a lot of personal information from customers you may want to get some pen testing anyway independent pen testing because if something happens, you can say, hey, look, we got tested. You know, we were proven secure. We did our due diligence. Um, but this, is, this isn't this is the most fun topic for a lot of people. There are people that, some people that love this stuff. That's, they make their living off of security things and they love it. For most programmers, it's not something we really like to think about but we we gotta we just gotta um make everybody safer and pay attention to this stuff okay boys and girls uh i think that's it for tonight you got anything else on this topic yeah. all right if you enjoyed that please like and subscribe and follow if you're seeing us on twitch uh, mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Join us every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, for more Dev Talk.
Uh, if you have friends, which we know you do, bring them too. Uh, next week. What are we talking about next week? The other five? Next week, more security talk. <laughs> Whoopee! Uh, if you have a talk... With, it, it, mm -hmm. and maybe we'll throw a little something else in there, too. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, six through ten were a little, little less saucy. But if you have a topic that you would like to see us cover on the show, please leave it in the comments below. We do read all of those. Uh, our podcast is available in all the places that podcasts live. Uh, visit our site at rubberduckdevshow.com. You can sign up for our newsletter and find all our videos and podcasts there. You can also follow us on Twitter at DuckyDevShow. Until next week, happy programming. Happy programming.